0: Welcome to Bub Club, a horror movie podcast. On today's show, we will do some horror babble, followed by our spotlight on Candyman. Then we will top off the show with our top three favorite horror movies of all time. And we are your hosts. I'm Brandon. I'm Melanie. I'm Josh. I'm Lindsay. All right. Welcome to Bub Club, the first ever Bub Club Episode number one. So, if you're listening now, you can say that you've been there from the start. Day
1: one.
0: Uh, maybe we should go through and just, like, talk about what the show's going to be and who we are. We are nobody. None of us are anybody. You're not going to know who we are. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> now you know our I'm first names. I'm actually
2: super famous. <laughs> what have you done? No, nothing. You're right. I'm nothing.
0: Um, okay, so... <laughs> Melanie and Lindsay are sisters and they grew up watching horror movies together. I remember them telling me stories about walking down to the video store and obsessively renting horror movies. Um, I sort of did the same thing back in California, watched a lot of horror movies. Josh is a little bit newer to horror movies, but not newer to film. He is uh highly interested in films. He went to film appreciation classes, right?
1: We all went to film appreciation
0: classes. <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, film analysis class. Oh, you analyze <laughs> uh, them, okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, but he does.
0: But he does enjoy horror now, uh, yeah. and uh, so we feel that it would be a neat perspective to have him on the show. So, um, because we're all obsessed with horror, horror fans, we have a night that we call Bub Club Night. It's uh, it's every Tuesday. We have like ten people coming, and and we're going through a list and watching horror movies. So we thought that we'd turn it into a podcast by talking about some of these movies that we watch and added in a top three for fun. But right now we're going to do some horror babble, which is just whatever we want to talk about, whatever, anything horror. Who goes first? So who's got what?
3: <laughs>
1: well, I, I can go first if, if everybody's cool. cool with that. I'm all right with that. So when I started thinking about this whole segment, I, I, I realized like I, I need to do a little bit of re I haven't thought about horror mo- stuff outside of our horror movie. That we do every week so i kind of did a little discovery and i picked i wanted to watch like the outsider just by myself i hadn't watched anything horror by myself for a long time and i actually when i first went into this didn't realize like how horror it was gonna be it looked more like a crime drama which looked you know somewhat interesting but i've seen that before but it it is a horror show like it it's definitely horrific and of course it's a uh, based on a book by Stephen King, and it looks like he's credited as actually writing, uh, helping to write some of the episodes along with Richard Price. So I think it's fun, and it feels very, like, mythical, and there's some characters, some really cool characters that you meet along the way, one of them being this lady that they find to help. She's a PI, and they um, get her to help kind of solve this mystery, and she's kind of like a a very high-functioning Rain Man, like, you guys all know who rain um. no i'm just gonna do
0: <laughs> you know rain man <laughs> yeah. with uh with, with tom cruise and well that, what was his dustin rain man's hoffman? name was dustin hoffman was, yeah. who's
2: tom cruise <laughs> no, <just
0: kidding>.
1: no. <laughs> <laughs> so so it it just feels it kind of feels like this magical world but it's you know pretty horrific along the way so i it's got Jason Bateman in it too, who's like primarily, oh yeah, I love he him. does a lot of like comedy and stuff, and but I think he's been moving more to like the dramatic. So it's kind of interesting to see him in this kind of role. And I didn't know if I would like be able to buy it and see him and believe it, him in this kind of a role, but he does really well and it almost makes it more horrific.
0: He's not just playing Jason Bateman like he usually does? He's not does. just
1: playing Jason, Jason Bateman. And because you kind of have that thought of him in your head. Like it really does make what's happening to him feel even more horrific. Like, like you have like you have this investment into his character outside of the show. So it's something that I would recommend, and it's just fun. And the other thing I, I kind of wanted to go into is Melanie had mentioned to me that there was this new Ted Bundy kind of documentary called like Ted Bundy Falling for a Killer. Uh, It was from his uh, long-term girlfriend's perspective. uh, The lady who was actually dating him before and during the when he... And I don't know about after, because I haven't gotten that far. But uh, before and during while he was committing these crimes. And I don't think I can finish it. I'm going to be honest. Why? So I don't really want to know any more about Ted Bundy. I don't know about any of you. But I've heard a lot. Like, it's really hard to hear about murderous sex crimes for me. Like, yeah. really? <laughs> <laughs> and and I thought this would be interesting because I was like, well, it's from her point of view. And it was. Like, about the first three quarters of the first episode is very fascinating because you get this completely different perspective and it's heartbreaking. And you see this pain and, and the sadness in her face and and you know what's coming. And as she's kind of like giving you... The uh, timeline of everything that's happening, you're like, oh, he hasn't done it yet, but he's going to, and and you kind of it, you feel really bad for her, her and her daughter, which I yeah, I didn't I didn't even know this story with I did not know that
0: Ted Bundy had a girlfriend. So would that be his stepdaughter then? Oh, they weren't married. They weren't they were married, they were married but, right? But it wasn't from him.
1: But, but he helped raise her. Pretty he much, he helped raise yeah. her, and she and she even goes in the daughter even goes into that of like you know he was how old is the daughter daughter. now oh man she's got to be in her 30s or 40s okay
0: you know and the girlfriend obviously didn't know what was happening right
1: no so so there she gets a little more into like i guess there was a a day when he came home and he said i'm going to quit law school and she's asking him why and he's like i can't get over these fantasies of killing and murdering people and I don't know about you guys, but that is a
2: huge red flag. <laughs> a little bit of a red flag. I'd be like, yeah. nope. Yeah, I
1: don't know that I could. Like, so I, in my head, I was thinking, like, okay, like I'm picturing this from a very outside perspective. I'm trying to. Now, you didn't mention we are married, by the way. Yeah, we're married.
0: <laughs> oh. no,
1: but I. So I was. I, I was trying to put it in that into perspective. Like, what if I found out? That Brandon was a serial. What if he came to me with that kind of news? Like, what would I really do? If someone told me they had the urge, I think I'd freak I would out.
3: freak out, and I would <laughs> I would try to stop. I wouldn't be like, okay, well, well let's continue dating.
1: I don't know.
0: Let me take some notes here.
1: <laughs> I don't know that she was like okay because I didn't get yeah, that. Yeah, but I mean, far. wouldn't
3: you like? Okay, someone told me they had like these homicidal urges wouldn't you try and, like, seek help for this person, even if it was through the law?
1: Definitely. I now, again, I haven't got that far. That's about where it ended yeah. um, toward the end of the episode. But I'm just trying to, like, picture myself in this role, and I feel like I would just want to take my daughter and run. like, yeah. And, yeah. of course, get them the help that they need, but I would want... To pick up my daughter and run and yes. say you need to yep. get
0: help and I'll see you when you have gotten help, <laughs> especially if there's yeah, a child involved, right? You hear something like that and you go, mm, I would terrify you.
1: So I mean, I guess I guess this watching this served its purpose because I yeah you know, I went through the whole like role playing of it in my head and it felt like terrifying. I I felt terrified to be in to imagine myself in this lady's position where and that is all very interesting. I'm not saying this is something you shouldn't watch. Where it's hard for me is there are victims that have survived his attacks that start that have never come forward before that come forward and talk not only about the attack itself but the effect that it had on their lives and it's just really hard for me like especially if i'm in this like mode of like i kind of want to be a little bit more entertained than like really <laughs> get involved in this like this feels a little too heavy for what i'm trying to go for so if you if you think you know you're interested in this you do have to it gets very descriptive and very horrific in so many ways so
0: yeah real life horror to me is less appealing um melanie is like the serial killer expert so you'll hear some stuff from her throughout the episodes um but i'd like to keep it fantasy based i like to keep it not real even if it's realistic in the movie i can still at the end of the day go that wasn't real right
1: i'm 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 pretty much the exact same way. I, I, I teeter on the edge there. I'm, I definitely like have this like curiosity about how could someone do this? And I have to delve into this and see like, what were they thinking? And like, I have, it's kind of like driving by a really bad accident. Like I want to look yeah. and see what really happened and how it happened if there's a severed foot in the road.
3: Oh yeah. Like you want to get to the, like why? Right. Really, it never comes. There's no like there's no answer you're right it never really
1: because i i think in order to understand the why you'd have to relate and i don't think you can relate to this kind of horror i mean it's
0: fascinating because you're human and they're human but there's a huge separation there right but yeah i don't think you're gonna ever get answers from it um so something that i'm excited about so some like horror news slash excitement for me is an upcoming psychological horror movie called last night in soho Uh, It stars Anya Taylor, who was in The Witch and Split, and Matt Smith, who was one of the Doctor Who doctors. Uh, Probably most recent. I don't know. I don't follow it. Uh, This is set in London. A young girl is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s, and time seems to fall apart with shady consequences. Okay, so that sounds like a horror version of, like, Midnight in Paris, which didn't excite me. What excited me... Was the writer and director is Edgar Wright, oh. who is uh, director of Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, World's End. He also did uh, the latest one was Baby Driver, and he did uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. So this is his return to horror, which I'm really excited about because I think he does horror like very well. And I'm I don't know because there's no preview out for this yet, but I'm wondering if it's still a horror comedy. I don't think this guy can uh, do. Anything without having bits of comedy in it. But his other horror movies, like Shaun of the Dead, was, I felt like, teetered on more towards the side of comedy than it did horror, but it had its horrific spots. So I'm really excited about this. The expected release date is September 25th, and it's called Last Night in Soho.
1: I can't decide if I would be more interested in seeing him do another horror comedy, which I would love. Or kind of seeing if he could pull off something a little more serious, like a straight horror. Yeah, yeah.
0: Either way, I'd be fine. Right. But it'd be, I'd be more curious about the. Might be interesting. Straight horror.
1: Yeah, it might be interesting to see something different.
2: So, what I wanted to talk about in this horror babble, uh, give a brief review of a movie that I've seen recently called Harpoon. Uh, this movie came out in 2019. Uh, it's a Canadian horror film about three best friends that get stranded on a yacht in the middle of the ocean. They run out of food and water and, uh, insanity ensues.
1: That does sound terrifying. (laughs) Um,
2: Yeah, it was actually pretty good. Um, not my favorite movie of all time, but I did really enjoy it. I got a little bit of funny games vibes from it. Uh, Just that kind of same style of dark humor mixed with uh, people being very, very terrible.
1: I have a question for all of you guys. Do you think if you were put in this situation, insanity would take over?
2: Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it gets... uh, When you're out of water and you're out of food, you're on the brink of death and uh, you can start to... People get desperate, and people change when they I think desperate. your mind changes, too, like, yeah. you know, it's...
0: Yeah, you're not functioning, No, well. no. You know, I, I, I mean...
3: I don't know if I'd get, like, all weird and start killing people and stuff, <laughs> you know, or, you know... but You never know. You never know. I might get there... <laughs>
0: I mean, I don't eat breakfast and I start getting kind of (laughs) poopy. I would
1: like to think in my like fantasies when I like go through these scenarios in my head that I am like one of the tough ones,
3: you know, I'd be the passive. one, like, okay, (laughs) you
1: guys can eat
2: me by the way.
3: (laughs) You can take my water.
0: (laughs) Brandon might be the one that goes a little crazy. I might be. I might seem like really together the whole time, but really you don't see the, the gears turning.
1: You're, you're the guy that, in the end, we're like, oh, he was craziest the whole time.
0: <laughs> yeah. I just had I, you I guys follow first.
1: me. <laughs> I'd be the first to die. Yeah, you
3: might. So, where does die. the horror come
0: from? Is it just like the survival and being out, and or is it like more psychological?
2: Um, I would. I don't want to get too detailed into it, um, but I guess the horror does come from uh, kind of the secrets that they keep from each other and uh, the way they. They treat each other,
0: so there's no monster coming about. It's no, not
2: that. it's yeah, no like, monster. That's why I said it was like funny games. Gotcha. I guess the
1: only true way to know how we would be in a situation is to buy a yacht and all go out there without any food or water and see what happens. Let's
0: Tune in do next it. show <laughs> where we talk about. It.
3: <laughs> 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 okay, it's my turn. So Lindsay, when you were talking about. Ted Bundy, something came to me like, um, it's a documentary that really affected me, and I didn't think it would. Um, It's called Jeffrey Dahmer Case Files, and at first, it looked really stupid. The intro was like a fish tank, and I was like, "Oh God, this is gonna be bad." But it was like one of those sleepless nights, and I'm like, "Okay, I'm, I'm in."
0: So the whole intro yeah. was a fish tank.
3: It was a fish tank, so I was like, "God damn it, this can be dumb." But like, I'm like one of those people. Like, I'm obsessive compulsive, so I'm like, "I'm gonna finish it." I already you know? started the first five yeah, seconds. Exactly, I'm gonna, I'm gonna,
1: I'm gonna make it through. <laughs>
3: but um. It was horrifying. Like, I knew a lot about Jeffrey Dahmer, but I didn't know, like, so he lived in these low-income housing projects, and the people in there were basically on drugs and just, you know, didn't have a good life, but they could hear his victims screaming. Oh
0: my God.
3: And one lady talks about, like, how one night her and her husband in bed, and she could hear this guy howling, just howling. That is horrific. That's horrific, right? And it really scared me. Like, there's different kind of scary, but this one scared me. Like, I couldn't... I was scared. Like, I had to sleep with the light on. Um, They talked about what he did, and uh, also, like, um, uh, that one of the guys that worked on The Bodies, um, he said he would never watch a film like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or anything again because he almost experienced in real life because he had to go through like when he was um, examining these bodies like people were alive when he drilled like holes in their head and poured acid in their head and um I didn't think like I said at first I just thought oh it's going to be some silly documentary and again I knew a lot about Jeffrey Dahmer but I just didn't know how this would like affected me
1: so you go into a Jeffrey Dahmer documentary going, this is going to be silly.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I've never <known laughs> no, no, no. I just thought it'd be dumb, you know, like one of those things. Like, it was a fish tank for like the first five minutes, you know? So
1: I have a question then for you guys. If you hear howling coming from, you're in a, you're in this situation, you're in these low income apartments and you hear howling coming from the walls. What do
0: you do? I get some silver because I think there's a werewolf <laughs> in next door. Well, and that's another thing that's
3: horrifying is this could have been stopped. And so some of the victim's families were very angry and they actually tore these projects down. Um, but like there was one scene where they went and actually screamed at the people who lived with him. And one lady was screaming like, you're to save my brother. And she was angry. And I mean, I can kind of see that even though these people were on drugs. Do you do you let this happen? Like, I don't know.
0: So, here, this was in the projects. Uh-huh. Here's the thing like, you know how many noises you're hearing in the projects? And a lot of times it's more viable for you to ignore these because if you get involved, who knows what's happening? And how fast are the cops going to rush to projects, unfortunately? Yeah. yeah. That's and the again, case.
3: yeah, they don't, I guess these people have learned not to trust authority, right? And right, why should yeah. they? Um, I don't blame those people, but again, like if it was my. Brother or my sister in that situation, I definitely think there would be some anger.
1: I, I, there might be that it could have, this would have, you know, the situation. But in in the end, I think it is inappropriate to blame anybody but Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, no, gonna no. Say, just don't I, kill, right?
3: Yeah, no, no, I get that. Yeah. So, um, but I really wanted to talk about Gong Runbo. I don't know if you guys ever heard of him. He's a, a Chinese serial killer, and um. He was caught, they think, killing more than 20 children. And the, how they caught him was um, one of his neighbors peeped through his window, and he was naked riding a rocking horse. And um, on further inspection, they realized it was not like a child. He made children into rocking horses.
1: You would never get a decent night's sleep again after seeing something <laughs> no, like that? No, no, no. <laughs> yeah,
3: this
0: is really become an i know i'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> but you know i'm I'm
3: interested in this kind of stuff but the interesting thing is is the two cops that investigated the murder they came out and they were talking to the american news and they spilled the beans basically like they think he killed more than 20 kids and what they saw in there and the, and the kids made out of rocking horses well the chinese government killed them they wow. killed the two cops that investigated wow yeah so there's all huh. kinds of horrific details yeah, yeah this story. <laughs> exactly. yeah. But I'm, I'm done with that depressing stuff, so I'm
0: sorry.
3: Um, <laughs> I have a lot of sleepless nights. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they are creating a 8-bit retro video game based on Mandy where you can reenact some of the iconic scenes in the film Mandy. Which sounds cool. It does. It's probably going to be an independent video game. There's no word on that. But keep your ear to the ground because that sounds really cool. On that note, Josh recently watched a Nick Cage film that I really want to hear about because I did not see it.
2: Yes, um, and I will make this spoiler free because it hasn't had a wide release yet and I assume most of the listeners have not been able to uh, see it as well. But the movie is Color Out of Space. And uh, personally, I think it's Nick Cage at his best. One of my favorite films by him definitely my favorite horror film by him the acting is great they have great special effects and some genuinely scary moments this is based off of the hp lovecraft uh short story and
0: of the same title
2: of the same title
0: yes
1: you know you know something about nick cage is when he's good he is good
0: you're not kidding. Like
1: in a very genuine and unique way that I have not seen any other actor be able to pull off. So yeah. Here's
0: here's my theory on Nick Cage. He needs a good director. I think if a director just lets him do whatever he wants, he goes to the wild side, and that's fun to watch and all. But I think he needs to be pulled back a little bit. And I think once he teams up with the right director, he's like on it, man. Because that scene in Mandy, that bathroom scene—no spoilers there—but the bathroom scene in particular is amazing.
1: It's so good.
0: And he's actually really funny too, so I think he needs to get that opportunity to have those moments of Wild, but the director needs to know when to pull him back from that. Because right, he gets yeah. a little kooky in uh, in Mandy, but it's never over the top for me.
2: And that's one thing from Color Out of Space, uh, I was actually able to see it twice, and the first time it was in a packed theater, and whenever Nick Cage was going through one of these Nick Cage moments, he the audience was laughing and it kind of distracted from the film and you didn't really see the seriousness of it. But the second time I saw it when, when he was going through those same moments, I realized how scary he was actually
0: being in those. And you do this quite often, Josh, you will watch a movie back to back at least twice. I know that a couple of films you've watched like three times in the period of a week, right?
2: Yes. Uh, I, I personally just find it, uh, Helpful to see it multiple times to really digest how I feel about it. Um, A lot of movies, uh, especially horror movies, can shock you. And uh, if you're not prepared for it, can really uh, make it hard to see what the movie's trying to say.
0: Yeah, that's very true. Like, for me, I would say the first viewing is the experience. And then the second viewing could be, like, analyzation of it, right? Yeah. All right. So
1: real quick, this is based off an H.P. Lovecraft story, yes, and it's pulled off pretty well,
3: yes. And it's very—I went and saw it the second time with Josh, and I can attest that it is my favorite
1: H.P. Lovecraft movie that they've done because I, th- I haven't seen a lot of those pulled off. Yeah, no, they, they well, pulled this one off,
0: Reanimator, right? That's I, gold.
1: But not a lot. Like th- there, there has been many oh, been of more. adaptations. And and I'm a very big H.P. Lovecraft fan, and I tend to be disappointed.
0: Have either one of you guys read the story?
1: I have. Okay. I've read all of H.P. Lovecraft, thanks to Lindsay. I
2: I have not read the story personally, but I know there are some creative liberties that have been taken. Like, characters are using AirPods. It's set in modern day. Obviously, H.P. Lovecraft didn't... uh, include that sort of stuff in a story. Maybe he did. I haven't read it, so... No, <laughs> Very <sure>. prophetic.
0: <laughs> All right, I'll end our horror babble with a, a horror fun fact. Um, I'm going to call this fun fact 1960s repressed America. Psycho was the first American film to show a toilet on screen, and for the first time, you hear a toilet flush. Now, to give some reference here, one of the first American films to show blood was a nineteen sixteen silent film called Intolerance. So it took forty-four years to go from blood to gore. I'm mean, blood and gore to a toilet. <laughs> Which answers the age all question what are Americans more afraid of? Blood or pee pee? Pee-pee.
1: pee-pee. Apparently. Pee pee is scary. Pee pee is scary. Yeah. <laughs> Especially I, the wrong kind of pee pee. <laughs> What's the wrong kind of pee pee?
3: You
0: know. <laughs>
1: Oh, period, pee pee. No, what? My God! Sorry. No. 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 I was thinking like more along the lines of syphilis. No.
2: <laughs> That's good. No, That's a doubt.
0: All right. On that note, that is our horror babble. Up next is our spotlight on Candyman. All right, we all recently rewatched Candyman. Maybe Josh for the first time.
2: This first time,
0: Candyman was made in 1992 from writer-director Bernard Rose. Uh, Bernard Rose made Paper House 1988. Has anybody seen Paper House? I have not. That's a, nope. That's a, another horror movie I've uh, been meaning to see. He also made 2015 Frankenstein, which I also didn't see, but I did see. The music videos he directed, UB40's Red Red Wine, <laughs> and Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood.
1: Did you say he made the 2015 Frankenstein? Yeah. Is that the sexy Frankenstein?
0: No. Oh.
1: Sexy Frankenstein?
3: Actually, it
0: might have been. Ridiculous. Yeah. With Two-Face?
3: Wait, is Frankenstein supposed to be sexy? I thought mm. he was like a reanimator. You wouldn't course. think
1: so, but they'd made him... I know they... I can't... If I can't believe it would be like f- almost five years ago, but... Yeah, there was a sexy Frankenstein. Yeah, with, I the, vaguely with the remember right kind of imagination,
0: <laughs> anything could be sexy. <laughs> okay, Candyman stars Virginia Madsen, who was in Highlander 2, The Quickening, and the main love interest in Sideways. Did you guys know that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally heard. I can her. see it now. Yeah. Um, also, Tony Todd as the titular character. Uh, he played Ben in the 1990 remake, Tom Savini's remake of Night of the Living Dead, um, and since then, uh, since Candyman, Tony Town has made, like, several appearances, cameos in horror movies, including, like, Final Destination and Hatchet. So here's a synopsis as cor- according to uh, IMDb. The Candyman, a murderous soul with a hook for a hand, is accidentally summoned by a, st- a s- spectic grad student researching the monster's myth. Lindsay has some fun facts about the film. She's the one that picked it last week.
1: Yeah, this is you know this has always been a movie that it had a really big impact on me when I when I was a kid. We watched it. I can't remember how many times we countless watched times. Just countless times. Yeah. It was really scary, and and we were very young when when this came out. And so it's kind of funny to think that we were just kind of so obsessed with it. But it was different at the time it came out and it was different than anything we've seen and i think it's considered to be a slasher movie i don't know if i'm am correct about that. and i don't feel like i am I, that is not my genre i i'm not generally a fan of slasher movies I, they tend to just um feel repetitive to me and i, I don't get i, I don't know it's just not my thing i don't think they're bad they're just not my
0: thing they're kind of a gimmick
1: the, yeah and and i didn't ever consider this even, like, it never crossed my head that this was slasher. Like, it felt like much more to me than that. I don't know how you guys felt about it after um, watching it. I think it was
3: like, I don't know, I would put it up there with, like, a Freddy Krueger film because they're supernatural as well. Yeah, but,
0: but Nightmare on Elm Street is considered to be a slasher as well. Yeah, yeah, so... But, I mean, it doesn't have to be a product of itself, that's right? true. They could go outside the box. And, like, Candyman's sort of a ghost as well, you know? Not yeah. sort of, he is a ghost. Yeah. They can manifest in, like hurt people.
1: So so I do have uh some fun facts here, about nine of them that I thought were kind of the most interesting. Uh so I'll I'll talk about him and then I kinda want you guys's like feedback. So could you have imagined Eddie Murphy in this role because he was one of the contenders who almost got it. And apparently it's not too clear why he didn't get it, but it might have had something to do with his height, where Tony Todd was this daunting tall man and and they didn't feel Eddie Murphy would be as it's scary yeah
0: but movie magic they could have made him look taller you would think can i imagine him in the role Absolutely, because I saw vampire in Brooklyn. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he would come off as, as menacing. That's my
1: personal Look, opinion. And, and could you imagine saying some of these, like, be my victim? You, yeah, know, no, you know, I can't movie. imagine his voice going that deep even.
2: <laughs> yeah, seeing him, I've just seen him in so many, like, jolly things that... He's Dr. Doolittle, it right? It <laughs> <yeah, laughs> <laughs> would have disconnected me from the movie.
1: Uh, on the same note, uh, Sandra Bullock. Was close to landing the leading lady role. Now I, I mean, think that I could see. Yeah, I think that one like oh, she okay. would have been. She, this was pre Speed. This was you know Speed defined like basically put her on the map. So she, I think, I think it would have worked with Sandra Bullock.
3: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if the leading lady would be. I'm not saying this in a rude way, but I don't know if it would change things that much for me. I'm not like attached to that actress or anything. Like maybe
1: you're thinking that it's not as important as, this no,
3: title not, not as, well, important as the title character. Well, she king.
0: was kind of an unknown, and Sandra Bullock at the time would have been an unknown. I like Virginia Madsen in this role, but it's hard to say with a movie that's so iconic to put anything else in, right? You know,
1: I couldn't. I. Personally, like I, I think Virginia Madsen's perfect. And, I, and if someone's like, you could switch her out for Sandra Bullock, I'd be like, absolutely not. She did f- perfectly yeah. great.
0: The only person I would switch her out with is Scully from X-Files. <laughs> no. she looks a lot like her. <laughs>
1: I wouldn't watch it. <laughs> so something that not, might not be um, as amazing to us now, because we've probably seen it and this movie, is dated. Uh, but the, the opening credits at the time, uh, they feature this aerial view of Chicago. And it was revolutionary. It was considered revolutionary. Uh, the director's quoted as saying, we we did it with an incredible new machine called the Skycam, which can shoot 500 millimeter lens with no vibration. So it, it's kind of interesting to think about some of the technology that was available at that time and just this like aerial shot, which if you, you know, when I was watching it, I never like took into consideration what it might have been taken to take that shot. But at the same time, I think subconsciously, the beauty of that shot kind of like gets embedded in your head because it's a very iconic scene.
0: Yeah, you know, little details in movies, had they not been there, you wouldn't have felt maybe um, strongly in one way or the other. But th- like you said, they do something subconsciously to right. you. So like attention to detail in movies is like always important. And I think what makes a bad movie is several missed opportunities of detail. Now we heard about this when... When, uh, before we watched it, Lindsay mentioned this. And when we were watching it, we were kind of saying like, this has been done before. Like The Shining has an aerial scene of a car driving down the road. But I think it was Josh actually that mentioned uh, the stillness of the camera. Right.
1: I think, I think he
2: did. No, wasn't you? I'm, I'm not sure. I don't remember.
1: But it, it, and then it's coupled with Philip Glass's like iconic sound or uh, score for this movie. Yes. And the two of those combined, like it makes that opening scene even though it's just this like aerial shot of the city it's creepy so every
0: time Lindsay sees a piano she'll play that theme song (laughs) and i completely forgot that that was i thought it was something that Lindsay made up (laughs) so then hearing it again it is such a great score and not just the theme but throughout the movie really like ramps us up from being like a typical slasher like you said to to like just a, a, a a movie that just feels like a film you know those are my favorite kind of horror movies where you could almost delete the horror from it and it still works as a film.
1: Right. So another interesting fact is not all of the creepy details uh, were sprung from Clive Barker's imagination. There were murderers that, that were committed using the medicine cabinets as an entry point into people's houses. Well, that's I think knowing this, like going into the movie makes it even a little bit more creepier because I can't, I just can't imagine sitting in my bathroom brushing my teeth and someone just pops through my medicine cabinet
3: at me
0: when I was a kid and I watched this I never looked at medicine cabinets the same way (laughs) really had an impact on me
1: so and I think that speaks to you know it's it's important to take these horrific things that have happened in life and you can kind of fantasy them up and and make them into something you know that it's a little more palpable for for the audience but it, it the fact that you kind of know and it's The same along or same lines as like the Texas Chainsaw Massacres. The fact that you know where some of that imagination and some and some of the things that the director or the writer came up with were based on somewhat real events is kind of creepier.
0: Nightmare on Elm Street was based on sleep paralysis, right? And um, Wes Craven was reading articles about kids were dying from it, dying in their sleep from it. I feel like. That's why I love '80s movies so much because I feel like there was a lot of this happening in the '80s where they were pulling stuff from real life and then just reimagining it something right a little bit more mystical.
1: Well, it kind of feels like the '80s there there was horror was such an accepted genre at the time that people were able to do that. Like you could you could come up with kind of anything, but like, yes, it's a horror movie and it's gonna work and we're gonna do it because everybody's doing horror. <laughs> so it, it it was it was really an awesome time for horror movies to come around. So. All right, so Rose, the director, always saw Candyman as more of a romantic figure than a horror figure. How do you guys feel about that? Uh, yeah, well, I was he, attracted to him more. <laughs> I,
3: I don't know romantic, but I guess he was
1: her lover, right? I mean, it, it kind of insinuates yeah. that there's something between the oh, two. Oh,
0: absolutely. He's like. Yeah, and, and I feel like he, um, and spoilers here, but I feel like he drove her to madness to, like, join him,
1: right? Well, definitely, and and I think the baby is a big part of that because if you remember the story of Candyman and how he kind of became who he was is he got a white woman pregnant, and they they killed him for it, and you don't really know what happened to the wife and baby. You can assume that they're probably okay, but he lost them, and he lost that life, and, and I think, you know, he there's parts in the movie where he says to her like you were always her and i and i think that you know he's trying to get that back and he's taking her and the baby with him.
0: Yeah, i think that's a good yeah. analyzation of that. Or he's just like, "Hey, look, I got a baby. Now you got to be with me." <laughs> Someone's got to take care of this crying <laughs> baby.
1: <laughs>
3: I'm not going
0: to do it.
1: So, I, the bees, the bee scenes in the film are also very yeah. iconic and these are real bees. These are real bees in their mouths and classically their trained. Classically trained. So i I was under the impression that they were like actor bees, like they'd been like you know bred for acting. But so <laughs> they they were special bees. They they were bred to be on on this movie, but they were newborns, and they used newborn bees because they're a little less aggressive and they had less powerful stingers. So these bees that you see in the movie are only twelve hours old. By the time they make their debut. Somebody uh-huh. called PETA. <laughs> <laughs> so they they were saying that there was supposedly no uh, little bee killing deaths. Yeah, because yeah, they when they got them off of the actors and, and everything, they used like the nice comfortable V vacuum.
2: I'm sure putting a handful of bees in somebody's mouth. There's <laughs> a- yeah. bee some, <laughs> some casualties. There's there's some casualties. <laughs>
1: so, it's the 80s. We did whatever we wanted to be. So, Tony Todd. However, was stung twenty three times. So all those bees died, right? Right. They, yeah. Yeah. They must have died. That's so how at bees least, work. At least twenty three <laughs> bees yeah. died. Oh However, he got a bonus for each time he was stung. I try now, to get stung. <laughs> so I, t- I was thinking, it's like yeah, he uh, how was
0: many flicking t- them in the <laughs> ass.
1: Because <laughs> I, I bet it was like a thousand dollars a sting. You're, I would be like, I'm taking all these stings, as many yeah. stings as I can take. Uh, and speaking of more of bees, Virginia Matson, what almost declined to play in the in the role because of this bee scene that she was going to have to do later. And she had claimed to be allergic to bees. So the director went and he got her tested and it turned out she was more allergic to wasps stings. So he just kind of said, you know, you're not allergic. You're just scared. And, and, and this, and he kind of like pumped her up a little bit, I guess by degrading her. I don't know. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and anyway, she did it and she was just like, yeah, what's the greatest thing? You know, she was very like pumped. About doing it, so that's kind of cool. To think you know, like she overcame a fear during this. Because I, I don't know, I don't really have a fear of bees. But if you put a bunch of bees in my mouth and all over my body, no, no, I'm gonna be scared. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm a bit concerned at
3: least. Remember when I kicked the bees nest at school? <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> like I don't know how many times I got stung.
1: <laughs> so speaking about the uh, score earlier, so Philip Glass actually had agreed to do this movie based on the idea that it was going to be more um, based on a book, a short story by Clive Barker called The Forbidden. And I guess he had loved that story. And uh, have you guys ever heard about The Forbidden? I hadn't.
0: No, I hadn't.
1: So uh, The Forbidden is a short story about urban legends that come to life and how a downtrodden community protects their own because of this. And I mean, if you think about what Candyman is, like that sounds kind of like Candyman, but apparently... This the story is maybe a more poetic. I I don't know what he's expecting 'cause so he he Philip Glass was actually really upset at the fact that he that he called it a low budget slasher,
3: which would you guys refer to it as a low budget slasher?
0: I don't I don't know what the budget was. Right. But it doesn't feel like one. It no. It doesn't feel like like I was budget. just saying, it feels more like a film. And I mean I mean the score helps with that, right. but I mean I don't know, it didn't it didn't feel like a low budget.
3: I wouldn't say it was a B rate or a low
0: budget. No, yeah.
1: he I guess he like, the way he described it is he thought it'd be more artful. And I, I thought it was pretty artful.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean she climbs out of a mural of Candyman's mouth. That's pretty Yeah artistic. It never it <laughs>
1: never really felt like trashy or anything to me it no. felt really awesome all the time. so
0: there was a scene in it that i felt was a little cheesy but i know exactly why they did it and i liked that they did it now when she when um, virginia madsen's character goes into the projects to start researching Candyman for the first time the projects are like very scary and there's some thuggish ruggish people out there giving them a hard time and then they go up and the whole the whole apartment building is like really ugly and worn down. And then a a woman comes out with a, with a pit bull and then ends up inviting them into their house. And this house is like super wholesome and like (laughs) wallpaper on the walls. It transforms into a different world. Yeah. It's just like a, like it looks like the outside of it should be like a white picket fence. Now I think why they did that was saying like, not all people living in the projects are thugs. And this is true. You know, And this lady is just there taking care of her baby and that's what she cares about and she's very protective. That's why she has the pit bull. And she keeps her house very nice. Uh, the cheesy part is like, I don't know how nice you could make a project's apartment look. I mean, maybe she went out and bought wallpaper. Right. Yeah, oh, she did a really good job. She did a great job. <laughs> but if she has that much money... Why is she living in the projects?
1: Right. I, I but I think I think the statement's more important than overthinking
0: Absolutely. And that that's what I'm saying. I, I understood what they did it, why they did it. And actually in the nineties, like it probably didn't feel that cheesy. But True. now is the only thing that I would say like doesn't hold up. And and which brings me to a point where when I first watched this movie as a kid, I was terrified from it. And the second time I watched it, it was like mid-20s. Maybe early twenties. I rewatched it, and I didn't like it. But this third viewing of it, I like loved it. So I think maybe like I was had some dark times in my early twenties, <laughs> and just like that, that affected my judgment. Which is uh, something I always, you should never trust a person that's that's going through a hard time when it comes to movies, because they're just gonna hate everything.
1: You know, this movie's got a lot of flack too. A lot of people um, have made claims that it's it's racist and. I'm I'm not sure I agree with that. Um, I, and I I don't know how the African-American community feels about it as much. But I feel like, you know, I've heard a a, a lot of them say they like it and then they're proud of it. But do you guys get racist undertones? Um,
3: I don't know. I think what's cool about it for me is it was like the first time you see a black man like being a boogeyman. Right. Like that was like almost the first... Kind of black boogeyman type character, so it was showing like they can You know, I don't know because I'm white, so what do I know about (laughs) anything? But it's a good point. I don't know how much I could comment on it, except uh,
0: I mean, I could to call it racist. Then would you call like? you know halloween racist against white people cuz he's a slasher killer is that the like gap that it's getting is cuz it's a black yeah, killer you
1: know i should have done a little more research into why i'm sure i don't know that it's because he's a black killer i think it's more of um how they
0: portray the projects
1: possibly possibly and just people in the projects maybe well,
3: and i think it's like maybe i don't know kind of a, a black guy going after a white woman that, like, that you might know be that it. kind of that fear might be it. i don't know and that's not like you know they don't want to be portrayed in that way.
0: It's always dangerous when a white director takes on the role to tell a, like a a, a a black story,
1: right? See, when I when I was younger, watching this like that. Like that never would have crossed my mind. No, I I just thought he I th- actually thought Candyman was awesome. Like I thought we he was loved really Candyman. cool.
3: Me, you, and Bo Swanson, our little neighborhood
1: friend. Like that's all we did, you know. Yeah, and I remember we would we would try to we try to get him in the mirror. Yeah, yeah. Like he would, and it's not like we thought he was like a good guy,
3: but we thought he was really cool. Do, do you remember when we were doing it in the mirror, and then that ironing board fell down, and we all <laughs> scattered? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, this is very reminiscent of uh, a lot of urban legends. The one that I know of that I'm familiar with is uh, Bloody Mary. Right. We did Bloody Mary too. I mean, it's the same exact thing, right? You say Bloody Mary three times in the mirror instead of four, which Candyman's four.
3: I thought it was 30. 30 yeah well, i think, <laughs> nobody I think we got should, time for that
0: i think we tried I, really, I think we tried a, a lot long time. Uh, yeah, we did well then that's maybe why it never worked for me because i was only saying it three times
1: <laughs> i think we also dared each other to sit in there in the dark as long as we could yeah you know yeah. This, this movie inspired us and, and that's kind of another fun thing about these types of movies is it really does feel like if and especially like as like a younger kid watching them like get it, it played on the fantasy of this like this is kind of cool and kind of fun and kind of scary and look i could call him through my own mirror right now mm-hmm. and you know we challenged that we we're like oh, bring it on Candyman!" Yeah. <laughs> then we challenge each other you know if, if if somehow we were wrong about that we'd all be dead but
3: i'm gonna try it in my adult life but maybe i will tonight <laughs> maybe
0: why not let's all right all, let's let's give a right, let's yeah. give a rating of this movie Um, we were introduced to a rating system that I think might work for us. A minus 10 to a 10. So minus 10, if you're saying minus 10, that means that the movie was absolutely awful, but extremely fun to watch. And you could watch it over and over for that factor. So then like minus five or minus one would be, or zero would be that it's just absolutely awful. I don't want to watch watch it again. again. It's
1: not funny and I never want to see it again.
0: Yeah, And then on the other side of the spectrum, five would be decent 10 would be amazing
1: so good reference howling 7 minus 10 times 10 yeah (laughs) so i think i personally would give this a seven
0: that it was my exact thought seven
3: i'd give it a six i'm not gonna give it a seven but i think a six
2: yeah i was uh i i was gonna say seven but (laughs) i don't want to just be a follower (laughs) but no i'd give it seven
0: yeah Okay, so Bub Club rating is seven. Melanie's doesn't matter. Take that,
3: Melanie.
0: <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> You're definitely going to get Candyman tonight. <laughs> I, I hope I do. Yeah,
3: Candyman's going to get you. <laughs> I don't have to go back to the daycare. I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> um,
0: all right, so I, b- before we move on, I do want to mention that a 2020 remake is set to be written by Jordan Peele. I do believe that it's his Monkey Pop Productions as well. It's going to be d- directed by Nina da Costa. Tony Todd will be in it, but as, not as Candyman. As a character named Styx. Uh, I don't even remember a character named Styx in the original. Maybe it's just a role for him. Candyman will be played by... Pronounce that name for me.
1: It looks like Yahya
0: Abdul. Abdul Mateen. Uh, you would recognize him from Manta and Aquaman and... Cal Abar in Watchmen. Nice. So he's Candyman in it. I am excited. I'm excited. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um. It's in post-production now with an expected release date of June 12th. Ooh.
1: I feel like at this point, Jordan Pill for me could do no wrong. Like I trust him. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but if he's behind this, I mean, he wrote it and he's written two fantastic horror movies and if he's producing it as well, I trust who the the director, if he had anything to do with who he picks, I would have to, I would trust that. So, yeah. All right, so that was our spotlight on Candyman. Up next is our top three horror movies of all time. All right, so before we get into it, we're just going to go around and kind of give a brief reasoning of how we constructed this list now favorite movies of all time is it was i think it's going to be the hardest list we have to make because there's a lot of time (laughs) right i mean yeah this was tough so the way i had to construct it was i i i obviously left a lot of i could have made a top 100 easily um so i left a lot off the list uh what made me narrow it down was if I'd seen the movie several times, so it's rewatchability. And if it was introduced to me a long time ago, so it stands the test of time. But that's just me personally. That's how I made this list. So every movie on this list um, is something that I've just watched several times and will guarantee I watch it several more times.
1: So how I constructed my list... Uh I I don't feel like this is a real list for me. I don't feel like it's possible for me to just say top three, here they are, all time. So I decided to construct it this way where um, the ones to, more toward the top are movies that have stood the test of time for me, that had a big impact on me growing up, that, uh, you know, branched me off into different directions of, of movies because of them, like that kind of genre. And then I also, I really wanted something new on there. I didn't want to, I didn't want to just not think about the newer things that have come out. So I asked myself, what is like the newest movie that's just like scared the crap out of me, which is really hard to do. Like I, I, I don't have too many movies where like it hurts to watch alone. So that my list is, is a little bit of half and half. And if, and if it was a newer movie that made the list, it had to be one that just terrified me to the bones.
2: I agree with Lindsay where it's hard to give a top three at all time, but this is the top three of all time for me for this moment. Uh, Brandon mentioned at the beginning that I'm relatively new to horror movies. I've been watching horror movies pretty regularly for the last year, so a few of them are more recent, but uh, I have picked movies that uh, by the end of them, I had to think about them for maybe even a week. I just kept thinking back on
0: them. Um, nice. So all these movies stayed with you they after? They stayed,
2: yeah, they stayed with nice. me for a while and uh I have rewatched them multiple times. <laughs> the rewatches are even better than the first watch. Nice. Okay, I'm going to go
3: with just movies that scared the crap out of me because like Lindsay it is hard for me to get scared. So when I get scared I really like that feeling. So I'm going with like the movies I watched by my self that have scared like the shit out of me.
2: Yeah. Good. Yep.
0: All right, let's get into it. Three. All right. My number three is City of the Living Dead, which came out in 1980, written directed by Lucille Fulci. So a clergyman hangs himself in a cemetery that opens the gates of hell, allowing the dead to rise. Uh, then you follow a reporter and a psychic racing to close said gates of hell. It's part of an unofficial trilogy called, well, I've heard it called the Death Trilogy and also Gates of Hell Trilogy. Which includes the Beyond or Seven Deaths, Seven Doors of Death. They have two titles. They, you'll see this a lot with Italian horror movies. Uh, the In the House by the Cemetery. This is the first one in the trilogy. Um, so I got really into Jalo and horror, and Italian-made horror movies. And I watched a ton of them. And this one, I just kept watching, and there's something about it that I really, really liked. There's an Uh, ambiance to this movie like when the priest hangs himself it just feels creepy and there's several scenes where it's like you you the camera's in the car and it's panning through these streets that are just empty when this is happening and it's like very foggy and very gothic feeling also it's a zombie movie but at the same time it's a ghost movie so the The fact that these zombies are also ghosts, like the thing about zombie movies is you could board up a house and be relatively safe. These ghosts could go through walls and squeeze your brains out of your head like just by going through your head, and that to me is terrifying. Also, so Lindsay and I watched this in her dad's theater room, and the menu of the screen on screen is the the zombie ghost girl. And during the credits, we fell asleep and woke up to this giant. Because he's got a he's got a theater room, so it's this giant screen, this giant like zombie girl that we saw throughout the whole movie. It was terrifying. So Lu- Lucille Falchi is is this the one where he's kind of
1: like known for the? the there's at least a scene where somebody's eyeball gets stabbed I feel by like something. That's every movie, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's
0: always <laughs> there's a yeah. An eye puncture.
1: You know, they seem to be like very similar, but at the same time, they they freak me out. Like, I'm just like, no, every time it happens, I'm like, don't do it.
0: Yeah. I should talk about the ending to this movie, if you guys remember. The ending is, it's like this really pleasant music, and this little boy is running up to his mom, very happily running to his mom, very normal, while she screams bloody murder about it.
1: That's right.
0: So supposedly the little kid is supposed to be a zombie, right? But he's not. He's clearly not. So there's a ton of explanations of how the end took shape. Uh, Some say the editor spilled coffee on the footage of the original ending, forcing the crew to improvise. Uh, Some say that Fulci changed his mind about the ending after the shooting was complete, and this was the best they could do. (laughs) Um,
1: That ending is super confusing and out of place. I don't remember that. And even with the explanation of the little boy like supposedly being a zombie which you know he's not, it doesn't
0: work for me. uh, So it doesn't work, but I love it. I love it. Every time it's so bizarre, (laughs) so unexplained and funny that like it doesn't ruin the film for me. It just leaves me with what the fuck just happened? (laughs) (laughs) And like, I kind of like when films do that. We watched it with our group, which a lot of them were just like, what was that? What was the, what did you just show me? (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, um, that's my number three city of the living dead.
3: All right. My number three is Nori the curse. It's a Japanese movie. Um, it is found footage, which I know sometimes (laughs) is a big no, no, (laughs) um, and it has some long scenes where like you're gonna fall asleep a few times, <laughs> but when you get to the good stuff, and especially the ending, I don't know if we want to give away too much on this show.
1: You know, I I feel like these movies that have been out for a while. Do you think it'd be okay? Maybe for maybe to, don't give away like surprise endings. Well,
3: but. it's not really a surprise ending, but in the, like there's this little boy, and one of the characters uh, smashes this little boy's head in with a rock, and then he gets up. And they hold hands and, like, walk off together. Aww. So it's, like, very <laughs> creepy. And, like, some of the imagery is what, like, scared me. The imagery in it, like, horrified
1: me. There's one amazing thing. Like, Asian horror films are amazing with this ghost ghostly imagery. Yeah, like, yeah that,
0: They've got it nailed down. That J-horror, yeah. man. That is, like, <laughs> I thought I was done being scared until Melanie started <laughs> showing us some of this stuff. And I'm just, like, it... And some of the stuff is like really low budget and looks like it's filmed on like a, like a 1990s, like home video recorder, but it doesn't matter. Like they still know how to pull off like really scary scenes. And it sticks with you. It does. And this,
3: this, like a lot of the imagery in this movie, like I was scared and that's hard to do.
2: My number three is The Shining. Um. I don't know if I have to go into any explanations. <laughs> What's The <of> shining? <laughs> If you haven't seen The Shining, uh, you should probably go watch it right now because uh, it's a, a very great movie. But I just really enjoy Slow Burn, I guess. Uh, most of the movies on my list can probably be described as a slow burn. But uh, the foreshadowing is also really cool and I just love the creepy imagery and...
0: Beautifully shot. Yeah.
2: Too. Beautiful. Yeah. This is one of those movies when, where, as a kid,
1: I saw it, I just snore town. I just, I didn't understand it. To me, it wasn't scary. I'm like, oh, okay, now there's an axe and no, who cares? And now then there's you, what? An axe? An axe. Oh, an cares? axe. An axe. Okay. And then I watch it when I was older and I was like, this is beautiful. Like, yeah. just pure beautiful. And it's definitely, I could, you know, it should definitely be in the top, top like, of all time.
0: Yes, uh, I'm glad you included it. It would be, like, an honorable mention for me. Uh, I was the opposite of Lindsay when I watched it. When I was a child, uh, my pants were soaked in piss because <laughs> it, like, freaked me out, man. Those twins and the, the, like, it goes from making you feel, like, all, like, ooh, that lady, yeah. <laughs> and then, oh, God, you know, if you haven't seen it, there's a sexy naked lady who turns into a very unattractive naked lady <laughs> and is does not seem friendly after that.
1: So my number three, this is something more recent, uh, a movie written and directed by Ari Oster, I believe that's how you say his name, is Hereditary. So, synopsis for this would be, when when the matriarch of the Graham family passes away, her daughter and grandchildren begin to unravel cryptic and increasingly terrifying secrets about their ancestry, trying to outrun the sinister fate they have inherited. I don't even think that synopsis does it any justice. This is one of those movies that came out, and I was excited to watch it. I, did, I hadn't read or heard anything or even watched a whole bun, a bunch of trailers or anything about it, but I, I'd heard People say it was good and that it was very scary. So I was like, oh, let's see, let's put this to the test. I think the first time I watched it, I might have watched it by myself. And it was like reminiscent of, of when I was a young kid and I watched The Exorcist by myself and I had to run out of the house. I This gave me that same exact feeling. And I have not been or felt this terrified by a movie in, in probably over a decade before I watched this. Other than some of the J-horror, I guess. But this one really
2: got to me. I remember the first time I saw Hereditary, I was house-sitting, and I was alone in this big house. It was 2 in the morning, and uh, there's a, a scene where they're communing with the dead and trying to talk with—I uh, d- I don't know if I should spoil anything, but— Again, maybe, um, maybe not too much with the yeah. end. Okay, but they're communing with the dead, and they're talking with them, and it's a really creepy, really well done— And all of a sudden, there's this banging on the door, on the back door. And I freak out, and I'm losing it. And it's not stopping. I, like, pause the movie, and the scratching just keeps on going. And my heart's beating out of my chest. I'm freaking out. I'm slowly walking towards the back door, still going. Shine a flashlight through it. I don't see anything, but the scratching is still going. I open the door, and it's the cat. But... (laughs) I was so relieved, but man, that was one of the scariest moments uh, produced by a horror movie.
3: I I didn't think this one was scary, but I loved it for the acting and just a drama by itself. But for some odd reason, it, it didn't scare me.
0: Melanie's been ruined by the, the J-horror stuff. And, the, and all the, and the K- serial K-horror. killers. Yeah, because to me, this terrified me. Now, the first time I watched it, I watched the first half of it. And the first half of it is definitely like this family drama. And it's really serious and it's really dark. And um, I stopped it because it was like, we were going to go. We were going to take a flight to L.A. the next morning. <laughs> and it was like, this is way too late. We need to go to bed. And I went to sleep thinking, like, I don't know what the big fuss is about. Because this was, like, talk of the town for a while, this movie. And it just, like, I was, like, I it feels unpleasant to me. And I don't like the family drama stuff. And then I finished watching the last half of it at my grandmother's house. Which creeped me out already <laughs> my grandma's house. Somebody died in it. And there's old people in this movie. <laughs> my grandma is an old person. And it terrified me i watched it on my phone with headphones uh and man yeah scary and then rewatching it cuz i've watched it several times after that um and now the the family drama stuff makes perfect sense you know because it's like this build up this slow build up and you get to know the family and the 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 torment of the family like really gets it, it's part of the story uh because spoilers like it would be spoilers to say like why, Yeah. and I really don't want to spoil this movie. Like if you haven't seen Hereditary, you gotta see Hereditary if you're a horror fan,
1: and you have to see it from the perspective of not really knowing what's going on, or else it kind of gets ruined for you. But uh, another reason why this actually made because th- there's a you know there's a lot of like J horror and everything that scares me like to the bone, but the the score in this one and and for me like a perfect movie. It not only is like, like wonderfully written, wonderfully acted, but if you have this score that can like bring you into this moment even harder, like when it's terrifying, the music is just like, just as terrifying. Like it just adds that aspect of terror to me. Like and you take the music out and it's still great, but like just that extra additional like fear that it instills in you is just so good to
0: me. It's also based on a true story. So that makes it really scary as well. (laughs) No, that's not true. All right. Moving on. Two! All right. My number two is Return of the Living Dead. Okay. So I promise all of my movies aren't of the living dead, <laughs> but uh return of the living dead is something I saw a very long time ago. And it had some scenes in it that stuck in my head for a long time. And there was, there was a while where I was like, what was that movie? And then I found it um, in my teens. And like to this day, like it's, it, I, I, it's so rewatchable. This was, uh, in 1985, Dan O'Banion was, uh, was the director. He was primarily a writer. So he wrote dark star with John Carpenter, uh, with John Carpenter. And it, it was John Carpenter's, uh, debut film. He wrote alien, the first alien phobia, dead and buried. Um, he only directed two feature films, uh, One was called The Resurrection, 1991. I never saw that. But John A. Russo originally wrote the script and the producers brought it to O'Banion to direct, but he refused, feeling that it was too much of a serious attempt at making a sequel to Night of the Living Dead and didn't want to intrude so directly on Romero's turf, who was currently making Dawn of the Dead. So O'Banion decided instead to rewrite it with more humor in it. And this is definitely not, like, a serious horror movie, although it has some, like, really cool special effects and some really gory scenes. People getting kind of arms ripped off and whatnot. Um, But it's, like, super funny. And, gosh, it's just, like, punk rock. And it just, like, touches, like, so many of my pleasure buttons. Yeah. it sounds gross. <laughs> <laughs> sounds gross. It sounds as gross as you thought it did. Yeah. So I, this
1: is one of those ones when I first saw it, I I was very much into like, I I didn't do a lot of like research on movies before I watched them. I saw oh this is Return of the Living Dead. This has something to do with George Romero. I'm gonna watch it. And I was just like, mm, not for me, because it was just like it didn't. It wasn't a horror movie. It was like some weird comedy. Yep. I was with Lindsay on that one. Is like I was
3: so addicted to like Dawn of the Dead right. and Day, Day of the, of the Dead. Dead. And when I watched it, I was like, a, you, you know, know it, I was being a. Snob. It seemed like
1: a joke, and it is a joke. And then I, you go back and you know, I actually the first time I ever went back and watched it, Brandon showed me it, and I was like, oh, this is absolutely
0: wonderful. <laughs> it, it's fun. I mean, if there's. If there's like pleasant horror out there, this is it. I mean, this is one of them. There's some unpleasant things happening in it, but it does it in such a, a light way. And also, they they're very meta with it because they talk about Night of the Living Dead in it, and what if it was based on true events? And like, what if this is what's happening now? So it was almost like a a sequel happening in the real world to Night of the Living Dead. But that's that is my number two, Return of the Living Dead.
3: All right, so my number two is going to be Terrified. It is a movie from Argentina. Um, I think you guys watched it on the horror movie night, but mm-hmm. Lindsay told me to watch it, and I was like, Pff, you know, <laughs> again, bad attitude.
1: <laughs> You'll get to know that Melanie has a negative attitude.
3: <laughs> I'm just, you know.
1: Very cynical. Uh, I've been through real. a lot. <laughs> um, no,
3: but, um, yeah, and then, like, the, the scary shit just kept on coming, like, it was one thing after another, and it really shocked me, and I think it's the first time in a long time I've been, like, scared like that.
1: This, this is relatively newer, right? Yeah, it came out uh, in, I in I don't want
3: to like, give away 18. too much, but um, the whole water thing that's involved with it was really cool. I thought that was a very cool concept. Um I don't know if that gives away too much, but I don't yeah, think
0: so. That's um, fine. It's yeah, yeah. it's such a good movie. Uh, it um, is. The little boy sitting at the table, yes, just like doesn't move. Oh and my god! When he turns per- his head, oh my gosh, man. Ugh. Yeah. Um, I remember watching a preview for this and go and and having almost the same attitude as Melanie. But then when we watched it, I was just like, in the whole time man does it open up strong oh yeah oh my gosh it's one of those movies that hereditary did as well where you hear a sound and it just sounds like banging and then when you see what's producing the sound (laughs) you can never unsee it again the
3: first scene was so horrifying like it was and then like you know when the old lady is looking through the wall and i don't know that was horrifying
1: You know, right when you think that, like, something's been overplayed, like, just something as simple as where is that sound coming from? Yeah. Like, you do that right, and that is still incredibly terrifying to this day.
3: Well, and then it played on, like, different stories. Like, he thought it was his neighbor, because his neighbor said he was doing all this construction. Right. And it was was just so well done.
0: Also, the, like, twist of, like, what the thing's end up being yeah, like like really original saying.
3: it really yeah. is it really was like awesome for me anyway
2: yeah uh, I got another American movie <laughs> Melanie's <laughs> cultured over here <laughs> 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 pulling from all sorts of places but uh, my number two is Midsummer, which is Ari Oster or Aster I'm not Oster? sure Aster, Aster o- yeah we're gonna get you it you guys wrong. know who it is uh <laughs> Same but guy that it's his, did Hereditary. Yeah, same guy that did Hereditary. It's his second movie. Uh, just came out this year. Or I guess it's 2020 now. <laughs> it came out in 2019. Um, it is about a group of postgraduate students that are working on their PhDs. They travel to Sweden with one of their fellow students to participate in a midsummer festival. Kind of in the middle of nowhere. Uh... They take mushrooms, and then everything (laughs) kind of goes to hell. (laughs) Uh, I'll kind of leave it at that, but it's another beautifully made movie, and I will say this, as well as hereditary, Ari Oster really knows how to portray grief and loss in people dealing with those emotions. He yeah. does such a great job and in both Hereditary and in
1: Midsomner, those scenes where in Hereditary, the mother losing the daughter, and then Midsommar like the losing the sister, it, it's it really does add to the horror of it. Like it yeah. kind of it kind of sets you up to, to be vulnerable with them.
2: Yeah. You start out the first half of the movies are like empathizing with the characters and feeling what they're feeling and then it takes you into this nightmare with them and I think he does such a great job both in Hereditary and Midsummer.
1: This, this is another one where the sounds and the score just, just encapsulate yeah, you along I agree completely. along with whenever you're in some of these horrifying scenes, like he just has this way of just playing like blaring sounds into your ears that just make it more horrifying. Yeah. This
3: a, this movie actually did scare me <laughs> in a different sort of way.
0: Right. But. Yeah yeah and the background is always like kind of shifting and moving like you are on mushrooms along with the characters on the the flowers
3: on her head right moving yeah
0: they're like breathing breathing. yeah Yeah. yeah.
1: it makes it that much more rewatchable because you kind of want to catch all the weirdness going on that you weren't paying attention to before
0: this guy makes movies where when he opens it up, I go. I don't know if I'm on board with this, and then I'm immediately on board because it. <laughs> <laughs> it has a pretty well, rough opening. And like. it's oh it's, yeah, it's disturbing, and it's also
1: a little bit of like a. It's kind of a slow buildup, which which is what he did with Hereditary. But like I, I'm kind of with Josh, where if you can deliver on a slow burn, then I prefer a slow burn. Absolutely,
0: yeah, because it gives you time with the characters, right? And with the uh, the tone of the film, it like it gets you in there. And then now it could, like, mess with your emotions.
1: And, and you know, I, I don't have to because some of, like, uh, the J-horror and stuff, the horror is always there in your face from the very start. And I like that, too. But there is something mm-hmm. kind of nice about, like, a climax of horror and scariness just, like, that hits you all at once after you've been on this very slow ride. So, yeah, I get Great. this one. So my number two, it could honestly be changed out with all three of the movies in this trilogy. I put it as Evil Dead 2, and I think I only do that because this was like the middle part of this trilogy, but I honestly, I could switch it out with the first or even Army of Darkness, which is kind of more silly. But this movie is important to me. It was my, and and not just Evil Dead 2, but the Evil Dead trilogy was my introduction into the cult horror. And I didn't, at the time I saw this, and at the time I was introduced to Evil Dead, I did not know what cult horror was. I just saw this movie and I fell in love with this character and it was weird and it was different. And of course, Sam Raimi has this style to him that you don't you've never seen. Like, you know, a Sam Raimi movie when you're watching it. It's it's undeniable. Like this is Sam Raimi's directing style. And I had never seen that before. I didn't even know it could exist in horror. And it just felt fun, but also kind of scary the first two movies are actually there's some especially the first one some of some of those demons in in the first evil dead are actually really terrifying and like the idea of this demon trapped in the cellar and you have to deal with this and at the same time you never know who's gonna like like just burst into a demon at any point and these are your friends your family your lover you know like it it's it's actually a very terrifying concept just done very uniquely
0: all right, so the first time I saw Evil Dead, I was 18 years old. I'm sitting in the living room with my friends, and we start watching it. My friend pauses it and says, hey, man, let's go smoke some pot. <laughs> so we went outside, we smoked some pot, and we came back in, and he unpaused it. And it was the scene where where she starts naming off the cards, and then she rises up. and Oh, you know, very iconic scene. Yeah, and... Boy, was that... I wasn't ready for that. (laughs) Because up until that part, it was, like, eerie. But I was like, nothing's really happening. And I was under the influence of marijuana, (laughs) an illegal substance, at the time in California. And it just freaked me out. And also, Sam Raimi makes the audience the demons. By being the PO... You're in the POV of the demons crashing through these doors and just, Seeing
1: the reactions of your victims and, and... And, you know, this movie was important, like... It really like started, I think it, and again, I didn't know what cult horror was at the time, but it gave me, it started this new passion of like, there's really interesting things out there that I'm not even thinking about. And, and that's why I made my number two, because it, it this movie had a huge effect on, on just my horror, uh, career. <laughs> on. It's
0: a good pick. All right, so my number one is American Werewolf in London. I knew from the start when I was making this list that this would be number one. It's been my favorite movie, my favorite, probably maybe one of my favorite movies of all time, like considering all genres of movies, but definitely horror. Uh, It came out in 1981, and it was done by John Landis, who at the time... Had only done comedies. He did the Kentucky Fried Movie and Animal House and Blues Brothers. And Rick Baker was the effects designer. Uh, And, like, man, some iconic scenes that still hold up today. The transformation in this movie to the song Blue Moon. (laughs) And there's three versions of that song Mm -hmm. in there. And this is the slow uh, Sam Cooke version of the song. And... If you watch that transfer, I remember there was there was a, a video on YouTube of this transformation and I was looking at the comments and everybody was like, no, this isn't real. This is, looks like it was in a movie. There's cutscenes." scenes. Like somebody uploaded onto YouTube saying this was a real werewolf <laughs> transformation. And that's almost believable, right? It's true. Um, Rick Baker did, did the effects, as I said. Um, he had to leave the howling, the first howling movie, because he promised Landis he would do this movie first. And it took Landis like three, four years to, to get the budget for this movie. And then he called him up and was like, All right, I'm ready to do this. And according to IMDb, uh, Rick Baker was like, I can't. I'm already working on a werewolf movie. And Landis yelled at him. And so he left the howling. And he left it in, um, he left the howling to his protege, uh, known by rob botten so the effects uh, artist of the thing so he was just rick baker's protege and was like he was like all right you got this and he went back and did uh american werewolf in london it's also the first film to earn the academy award for best makeup that academy was created in 1981 because The Elephant Man didn't get any credit for the makeup effects that was in there. So they created this for The Elephant Man, and this was the first film to win it. Um, Michael Jackson loved the movie so much that he hired Landis to direct the music video for Thriller. Um, I, I remember seeing this movie when I was a little kid, and I was watching it with my dad. And this happened several times when I was a little kid. I ain't afraid to admit it. I was, like, scared, terrified of horror movies when I was a kid. Uh, you would never think that I'd become a horror fan because I was trying to avoid it at all crossed, But my dad was a horror f- fanatic. My friends were horror fanatics. So it was like this, it was always around me and I couldn't get away from it. And I remember he would rent horror movies and I'd go in my bedroom and be like, I'm not going to watch it. I'm going to play with some GI Joes. And I would hear the sounds of it. And that was worse because my imagination came up with far more horrific things that were on the television. So I found myself having to watch these movies. And this was one of them. And I actually liked it. Like, it's very kind of lighthearted and fun, has a lot of comedy in it. I mean, the zombie that keeps coming back to him is terrifying. It keeps getting more and more gruesome as the film progresses. Um, but I just, like, loved it when I was a kid and still love it today. I would happily watch it right now and still be just as excited.
1: Yes, this was actually one I hadn't even watched until you showed it to me. M- Melanie and I, growing up, we we weren't really we didn't choose like the werewolf movies no, and, and so much. No. We we kind of wanted um, well, except for New, Dead New Moon zombies. Rising and Well, well, that yeah, and that was kind of a joke. But uh, we we didn't get in, into like the werewolf genre a bunch. We liked zombies. No. We liked other stuff like. Yeah. Uh, but however, before I had ever watched this one, I made the mistake of watching Werewolf uh, American Werewolf in Paris. I believe it was something that was a little bit newer. Yeah,
0: shouldn't be associated with this. Which was just
1: awful, and so I did associate the two for some reason or another. My God, I've never watched. This is what happens when I try to watch uh, an American Werewolf anywhere. And when I actually sat (laughs) the next one, (laughs) 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 when I actually sat down to watch this, it's just it's brilliant. It's so brilliant, and the it's the story is kind of like heartbreaking it's it's a perfect like horror movie it has everything you want in it it has kind of this drama and you really like empathize with the character you don't want him to be really going through any of this he's a good guy and even his friend is a good guy and what he has to go through and it, it's got like so many elements i never thought would have even been there like yeah it's got a zombie in it and and you wouldn't even think to, of that element to be there
0: zombies kind of zombie ghosts Zomb- yeah right um, but like it opens up with the the two they're like going on a, a backpacking trip through Europe and they're in this like desolate uh, the Moors actually they're on the Moors and they're just having a conversation of, like like two young guys would talking about girls and and uh, this and that and telling each other dumb jokes and so like immediately you're like you can relate to them or or like feel sympathy for them and it it, and then what happens to him is very tragic, and you're already like you're already very much like the character. And it's just, it's a
1: scary first attack. It's a brutal animal attack. Like even if it wasn't a werewolf, like if that was just like a bear, let's say, it's it's like a terrifying situation. Wait, it was
3: horrifying because I I agree with Lindsay. I didn't watch it till Brandon <clears throat> suggested it, and I really ended up loving it. And especially because like you said, it was like watching a real werewolf. Like when he turned, it right. was amazing.
0: And um it's short it's like an it hour short. and 20 minutes and in the in the beginning of the movie you don't really see the werewolf you see how they're reacting to it and they're telling you like it's circling us and oh my gosh what is that and you don't see it it nabs one of their shoulders and that's the only time that you see it and then they and then he looks to his left and it's just like a naked dude and so the whole time they're saying like a madman attacked you, and they're like clearly like he's like scratched up, yeah, and like torn apart like an animal attacked him. But no, like no, no,
1: you're cool. Yeah, <laughs> the
0: humor in it too is like just fantastic. Yeah. It's like so like kind of weird humor that I that I appreciate, and then it ends so abruptly
1: and kind of just heartbreaking sad right? yeah <laughs> and
0: then it starts with the the bow-ba-da-bow, yeah.
1: bow-ba-da-bow. the other version of blue moon
0: <laughs> it's so happy and upbeat right, right when you see something mm. like so sad yeah. um but it's just like the like it's so easy to rewatch because it's like an hour and 20 minutes and i always feel like it's like a half hour every time i watch it so that's my number one american werewolf in london not paris
1: right definitely not paris <laughs>
3: My number one is Moi, Legend of a Portrait, and this movie comes from Vietnam. Um, it is centered around a revenge. This um, These two girls are best friends. Um, the other one kind of screws the other one over and writes a book about her. Is that She's like a whore, and it's like a very famous book. And there's this painting that's supernatural, and you can call upon it to take revenge. But the stuff you have to do to get your revenge... Um, isn't very pretty and, <laughs> um, it's just, it was really good for me. I wouldn't say that it had a lot of scary scenes in it, but I think what, because I'm not going to spoil it and Lindsay, you're probably not going to like it. It's got, got a little rape in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you can kind of see where this girl's coming from and why she's hurting and like what, why she's willing to do what she's going to do. Um, and I like the story in it. It made me sad, but it, there was some scary moments too. I
0: was going to say, it sounds like the plot for Ghostbusters 2 until you said the rape right <laughs> part. <laughs> really?
3: <laughs>
1: you know, and that's a, that's another thing. So there is, you know, some of that in some of these horror movies, like yeah. in, in, especially in Shudder, which is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. And, it's not like I, I can't watch a movie that has it in it, but it, it, if it is there, it better damn well be a very vital part of the See, story. and this was a very vital, and like it was, it wasn't like
3: unnecessary, like
1: kind right.
3: of, you know, it was in there for a reason. And
1: and I also don't need it to be like prolonged or too detailed. Like, no, I, and I it get wasn't. the idea. Yeah. I get the idea. It
3: gave you the idea. And like I said, it gave you the reason of why this girl wants revenge as bad as she does. Um. And okay. Yeah, I would I would give it a watch if you guys have. To. I it. haven't seen it yet. So. So the name right. of it again? Moy Legend of a Portrait.
2: My number one movie is not one that I would recommend to everyone, but is a movie that I really enjoyed myself, and that is Climax, uh, directed by Gaspar No. It's a French film, and it is about a group of dancers that are preparing for a tour in America. They are rehearsing in a remote area, and they have an after-party. So the first part of this movie is just this very hypnotic, very long dance scene that is just really amazing. You see, uh, most of the actors in this movie are actually dancers first, and they this is the first film for a lot of the people in it. But the after-party uh, gets pretty crazy when they've realized that the drinks have been spiked with LSD. And so it kind of becomes a who it, where they're trying to figure out uh, what happened and it's kind of a Lord of the Flies type thing <laughs> where they all start attacking each other and fending for themselves. It's uh, my favorite horror movie because it's probably made me feel more horrified than any other movie I've seen. And it really feels like a nightmare when you're watching it.
1: It it really like as you're going uh, through this experience with these people, this one, you know, this isn't even something I would have sought out on my own. So I am glad that, you know, you brought this to me. But it is it is definitely horrifying. Like the situation, like thinking about somebody just giving me LSD yeah. without my knowledge is horrifying or enough.
3: I think thinking about the scene where he, they throw the person out in the snow, not giving away too much, um, that was horrifying for me. Out right. of all that stuff, it was still pretty horrific because, like, imagine I could imagine being in that situation where you're tripping on LSD and you're thrown outside Ugh. into
2: a blizzard. Yeah, I don't know he might it have got horrifying. off easy compared it's to the rest he, of them. No, he, he did. actually wasn't because he didn't drink and that's why they threw him out because oh, okay. they assumed that because he didn't drink But still like silent. what
3: a what a horrible thing to I don't know to do. Yeah. There is more horrifying things that come but
0: What's horrific for me is uh they're trying to figure out who spiked it. Try to figure out anything on acid, and that's very difficult to do. Yeah. <laughs> try, to out, try to figure out how to unzip a tent. Uh, let alone, like, uh, uncover a <laughs> mystery. Yeah. To this, follow clues. <laughs> um, yeah, me also, I, I wouldn't have sought this out. And Josh brought it to our horror movie nights. And at first I was like, this is, like, really interesting because of all the dance scenes. But the dance scenes are, like, they're really long, and sometimes it feels too long but the, the choreography in this is so brilliant that you're just like Josh said, you're like mesmerized by it. And then there's like this really long scenes of just people talking, Oh just yeah. having conversations back and forth. And it switches from two people to another two people. And it just keeps cutting back and forth, back and forth, um, which is great buildup. And I wasn't ready for what actually happened it turns into a full-blown horror movie and it feels like almost not out of nowhere because it's kind of a slow burn but once it really gets cooking it is just like craziness would
2: you
1: say there's a climax i would say
0: (laughs) oh my gosh i just i just got that there's definitely the whole movie is a climax but not in a good way.
2: <laughs> one one thing that I realized, I actually watched this movie again today to kind of prepare to talk about it. And uh, the conversations, they start out in a, a normal conversation tone, but these people are starting to trip and they don't realize it yet. And their conversations get more and more deranged and more and more like almost violent in some of the conversations that they're having. And then... They start to realize, they're like, wait, I'm feeling something weird right now. Something crazy is about to happen. And you're like, yeah, something yeah. crazy is about to happen. You it, know?
0: it makes the audience trip with It movie. does, it does. Like it, it yeah, it takes you on that ride. In fact, but I, I
3: f- almost wondered if they were really on LSD at some point because they they played it off so well. Yeah,
0: I was wondering if we were actually really on LSD. If Josh <laughs> if spiked I all the drinks, just, and was, and does the movie actually awesome? the movie wasn't that gr- crazy. It was just a dance movie. We watched a dance documentary, but we all took acid thanks to Josh. The
1: movie, the movie was actually Old Yeller, and
2: <laughs> yeah, we were watching SpongeBob and. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. So my number one, and this is a movie again that had just a huge effect on me and and pushed me into this genre that I love to this day is *Dawn of the Dead*, the one written and directed by George Romero, and with the special effects done by Tom Savini, and who who has had often worked with George uh, Romero, if I'm if I'm correct. I think he did uh, the makeup on the original. I think he did and all day of the them. Dead. Uh, did he do all of yeah. them? Yeah.
0: And the reason why he remade. Night of the Living Dead uh, is because he wanted to take a stab at like directing and because he didn't think that the the corpses were that efficient looking in the sequels.
1: Right. And if you if you actually rewatch that that remake it's it's almost like a shot for shot almost. But this movie so it, it's kind of I always tell the uh, some people this story when when I talk about this movie and... In our house, we, we were watching it on video cassette and we had rented it. We were very excited and we watched it as a family. Like that's what we did. We've been watching horror movies since like before I can even remember how young I was when I started. So so we had this big movie night and my mom's T V upstairs and they had this waterbed, which will date that will date about what time it is. Um <laughs> And I wanted to be on the waterbed, and I wanted to be in the room alone with the lights turned out and the in the TV on because for some reason that the way the wiring was, if we played a, a a video downstairs, we could actually watch it upstairs as well. So I was I'm going by myself and I left everybody behind. And there's that opening scene where there there it's a, it's like in some apartments and this lady sees her husband and she go, and he's a zombie and she goes to hug him. And he just takes this chunk out of her shoulder and it like rips apart in the skin. At the time, I had never seen anything like this up to that point where the skin and the flesh just looked real. I would real. say that's
3: where our horror kind of fandom started in well, a way. It was,
1: it was just, it was like yeah. unlike any gore I had seen up until yeah. that point. It was real and it felt real. And I remember my dad uh, calling from up downstairs and just asking, Lindsay, are you okay? And I just remember my response was, no <laughs> and i was really upset and it's been it had been the first time since i was a kid where like all of a sudden i realized like yeah horror was was not all fun and games there there was this realism to it yeah. that, and it scared the hell out yeah, of me and and you know i just this movie is just kind of fun in 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 a way like there's that there's some terrifying stuff the makeup's really cool like a, a cool thing about um tom Savini doing it is like i i hear like a story like George Romero calls him up and says, "Hey, I need you again." And and what he said was like, "Think of some cool ways to kill people." Like Tom Savini had like a lot of freedom on this movie, so it it's kind of like I think that's why like the the graphic or like I would not say graphics, but the special effects um, do look so amazing to me. It was different. It and and when somebody's got creative freedom, especially somebody like Tom Savini, you, you know, you're gonna probably get some gold. And this is actually the movie where the famous saying when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. And how do you guys think like George Romero came up with that? Like what what kind of space do you think he was in? Um, I think he was actually
3: trying to make statements with all his film. Um, I don't know what you guys think.
0: Um, This was a social commentary on consumerism. And the fact that it took place in a mall tells everything, right? The fact that maybe he was thinking society is like getting worse and worse with this. And, uh, And he's like, what happens if we all go to hell, you know? (laughs) So
1: he was just blasted drunk and it just popped out. There was really nothing to that. Like, uh-huh. it's one of the greatest sayings. <laughs> I love that saying. And he was just kind of shit drunk and it just came out. And he, he's just yeah. like, yeah, I was just like, I was hurrying and trying to finish up some stuff and that came out. I'm like, well, you're a damn genius. Like, there was nothing, <laughs> there was nothing that good that, when I ever got drunk, yeah. it was just blah, blah,
3: blah, blah, you know, <Yeah. laughs>
1: nothing like beautiful came out of my mouth.
3: <laughs> I think my favorite statement in that movie is, um, when the dead walk, we must stop the killing or we'll lose the war. And I think maybe that was the statement.
1: Yeah. Oh, well he made yeah. the reason why I just love George Romero and, and maybe not so much his later stuff, but definitely his earlier stuff is there were statements being made and yeah. there was a lot of more depth. It wasn't just a zombie movie. And I feel like because then the eighties did become so saturated with horror, horror movies became, almost became this kind of joke and this joke genre. And that's not what horror movies are to me. Like it is a very serious genre that I take very seriously. And for me, like, it's a genre where you can have comedy, you can have love, you can have drama, you can have horror. You, like, it's uh, the one genre of, of movies that I can think of where you can literally combine every single genre of movie yeah. ever made, and it works.
0: If you want to know what was happening of the era, what people were afraid of, watch the horror movies of that era, right. and you can get a pretty clear idea. Right. You know, 80s was like Cold War, like the threat of, uh, of World War Three. And everybody was afraid that the russians were going to nuke us so there was always this like feeling in the 80s of like we're coming to our end apocalypse yeah
1: (laughs) right and and this i don't know this specific like i had seen uh uh, night of the living dead and i'd seen the remake up at this point before i ever saw dawn of the dead but for some reason this dawn of the dead was like when i decided like i i love the zombie genre like you can do a lot with that genre and it's terrifying and it's you have like these very slow creatures, and I'm st- I'm even a fan of the fast zombies, but but at this time in this day and age, we didn't have fast zombies no, yet, and and, and just the slow like imminent doom like coming towards you, and if it's in like a masses, like there's not much you could do about it other than like hide in a ceiling and hope they don't get you.
0: <laughs> we should say the third film of this trilogy inspired the name Bub Club, right. Which was, like, I think most of our, like, favorite thing about the movie Day of the Dead was <laughs> Was Bubba, <laughs> Bub. yeah. Aside yeah. from
1: some of the, the really cool kill scenes at the end. Yeah, yeah people yeah. getting torn apart yeah. in every which direction, yeah.
0: or I should say one person getting torn <laughs> apart, yeah.
1: But no, Bubba was fantastic. And, and that almost put that on my top, my f- number one. But if I was being honest with myself, Dawn of the Dead just had this, I, I've I've probably seen that movie almost a hundred times.
3: I love the opening scene that... Uh, the day of the day dead. Day of the dead though, oh yeah. Though. Hello.
0: Yeah. Hey, right. before there? before like, we started oh. the show, Melanie know, was, was screaming that. <laughs> you know, I I I'm looking at my list. I'm wearing City of the Living Dead shirt right now, <laughs> and I have <clears throat> uh, a shirt for every mov- movie on my list, um, which isn't saying much. I have a lot of horror shirts. <laughs> I'm gonna make my own personal. I'm gonna do a top three favorite horror shirts in my closet it's That'd only be, going to be appealing to that'll me. be fascinating <laughs> to the people that can't see
2: them <laughs>
0: i'm gonna do a bonus episode by myself <laughs> on that note that is our show we want to thank you for listening and we would like you to leave a review if you listen this long uh you could also email us at bub podcast at gmail.com uh if we get enough questions maybe we'll do a q a and a Um, Also, if you like board games completely off the subject, there's another show you should listen to called Cards and Cubes. So stay tuned for our next show and thank you for listening.